1: One of the things that's difficult about Lyme is that it is very flexible and it has a lot of abilities to dodge the body's normal immune system.
0: Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, Digestive and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, onto the show.
2: Okay, today on The Less Stress Life, I have Dr. David Minkoff, who is a leading physician with 40-plus years of experience, best-selling author, athlete, and devoted family man. I don't know how old he is, but he looks like a young, young man, even though he's been in medicine for 40-plus years. It's because he founded LifeWorks Wellness Center in 1997 and is now one of the largest alternative medical clinics in the U.S. and Body Health in 2000, which is a nutrition company offering a unique range of dietary supplements for public and practitioners. He has a very diverse background as a board-certified pediatrician, a fellow in infectious disease, an ER physician, and as the co-director of a neonatal intensive care unit. He's an expert in pretty much everything, including hormone replacement, functional medicine, chelation, allergy elimination, Neural therapy, prolotherapy, ozone therapy, longevity, anti-aging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's very passionate about fitness. And at the age of 71, there it was. And he completed his 43rd full Ironman Man triathlon, which is a really big deal. You'll have to tell me how many miles that is and has qualified for the Kona World Championship eight times. When he's not training, he's devoted to his wife of 50 years, their three children and eight grandchildren while also writing and researching. So welcome Dr. David Minkoff.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to talk to you.
2: Yeah. How many miles is that? Is it 40 that the triathlon, the Ironman is?
1: Ironman is a swim of 2.4 miles, a bike ride of 112 miles, and a marathon, which is 26.2 miles.
2: Okay. I knew it was. So nice. you
1: do. Get back.
2: Yeah, I knew it was a lot of miles. So awesome. Well, we could talk about a lot of things because there's a lot of topics. But I've got a couple episodes back to back about Lyme disease. So I wanted to bring you in for talking about Lyme disease. So let's get into it. Who is at risk for Lyme disease? And what do those symptoms in those first few weeks look like when someone has maybe contracted it?
1: Okay. So there's sort of a traditional view of Lyme disease, and it's called Lyme because in Lyme, Connecticut, an outbreak occurred in mostly young women with arthritis and autoimmune type symptoms, sometimes fatigues, sometimes fibromyalgia type symptoms. And they isolated the outbreak to a particular bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi, This bacteria was transferred to the person from a tick bite. It was a particular type of tick called a deer tick, and there are deer endemic to Connecticut, and so the tick would bite the deer, the deer was infected, the tick would then bite the person, and traditionally or classically, the tick would latch onto the person's skin, suck their blood, transfer the contents of their mouth in the bacteria into the body of the person, and then the person would get a rash, which looks like a bullseye, around the area where the bite was, followed by some flu symptoms, maybe joint pain, fatigue, flu-like symptoms. And then if it was treated right away, you could use antibiotics, amoxicillin, tetracycline. Most people did about three weeks, and the cure rate was high. The only problem with this is that many times after the tick bite, there was no bullseye rash and no flu syndrome. The person got bit. They might have seen the tick, but they weren't sick. And then the Lyme bacteria lay dormant in their system for some period of time, maybe months, maybe years, maybe decades. What's been further learned about it is that if you culture the number of bacteria in a human mouth, there are thousands. And if you look at the bacteria in the tick's mouth, there's probably thousands also, there's many. And while Lyme disease was associated with one particular bacteria, this Borrelia, it turns out that many people, when they get bit, also get another half a dozen or a dozen bacteria which are known as co-infections. They go along with the Lyme. And names like Erlichia, Bartonella, Rickettsia, there's a whole bunch of them that often are part of the infectious state. Many times when doctors are thinking of Lyme, they're doing testing for only the one bacteria, which may or may not show up, and they miss the other ones. Or they miss that the other ones caused the infection and not just the Borrelia. This organism, Borrelia, is I call it a spirochete. It is a particular kind of bacteria. It has a very unique shape. It looks kind of like a corkscrew. And these bacteria have even been isolated from Egyptian mummies from 2000 BC. So they've been around for a long time. Infectious diseases tend to go in cycles. And we are in a worldwide Lyme cycle now where the incidence of Lyme is very high and our clinic specializes in Lyme and we see patients from all over the world, Scandinavia and China and Hawaii and Europe and South America and Mexico and all over the United States. One of the things that's difficult about Lyme is that it is very flexible And it has a lot of abilities to dodge the body's normal immune system. So it can put a protective cover on itself. It can put out sort of these biotoxins, which cause the immune system to not discover it. They can hide in a cyst form within cells and not be discovered. And what most of the patients that we see, like 99%, come in after seeing a whole series of doctors. Our average is 13 doctors, no diagnosis. They feel bad. They might have tingling arms and legs. They might have headaches. They might have arthritis or arthralgias. They've been diagnosed with some kind of autoimmune disease. They might present with multiple sclerosis, but the treatments and the diagnostics, so up to the time they get to us, they haven't been really figured out. And We have laboratories that specialize in Lyme that we use, where we're able to actually discover that the organisms are in the body, they are causing the problem, and that they can be treated. Unfortunately, the treatment of Lyme with antibiotics when it's in this later stage, they got it five, 10, 20 years before it's been dormant, and then what happened is they got a stressor. They had an operation, a car accident, they got a vaccine, they got a virus, they got a divorce, they got fired. Big stressor, which made their immune system go down. And then the Lyme seems to wake up and then add to the problems that they have. And so that's usually what we see when someone comes in. We often find that they have some parasites and they have some, they had mono when they were a kid and that's reactivated and they had nutritional deficiencies or they might be eating bad in general and their body is in kind of a low state and the Lyme can then add to this sort of party and make the person really sick yeah most people infectious disease doctors that are treating Lyme are using combinations of antibiotics to treat the person and you'll see people who have been on antibiotics for years two three four five different antibiotics if they go off, they get sicker, but even on, they're still sick. And my former career, I was an infectious disease specialist. I was an infection control officer in a big hospital. I am not anti-antibiotics, but what we found is that for chronic Lyme disease, antibiotics usually make things worse, not better. And so we just never, almost never use them. We have other ways to treat ozone, herbs, homeopathics, and we have about an 85% success rate with people so they can actually get better and they can resume their normal life.
2: Yeah. Well, I was kind of wondering if we went supportive and we can talk about that a little bit later. But first, that was a great overview. I appreciated that where the traditional Lyme comes from and the bullseye. And the issue really is, it's great if you can catch it early. But there's some outliers, as you just mentioned, which is, okay, we apparently have had this for a very long time. So then how do we get an appropriate or an accurate diagnosis? So maybe what we'll do first is let's talk about how Lyme is traditionally diagnosed beyond bullseye rash, like the testing the blot, et cetera, and what the other options are on the market that are actually accurate, effective. And I feel like this is the answer with most tests. You could have a negative test and you could have Lyme possibly. So can we talk about all those scenarios?
1: Yeah. I mean, most people who are seeing their regular family doctor or even infectious disease specialists are getting a lab core request for Borrelia. The antibodies may or may not be positive. We find in many cases they aren't positive or they test these different antigens, these different proteins that are on the surface of the Lyme bacteria. And the Center for Disease Control criteria is that you have to have at least three of these bands, and some people only have one or two, and then they say they don't have Lyme. And then many, many people get reduced to, you're just menopausal, why don't you take Prozac, and this is all in your head. Hmm. Almost everybody that we see has been through that experience you know, we did the test, you don't have it, or we did the test and you do have it. We gave you 30 days of antibiotics. If you had it, you should be fine and you're not fine and we can't find anything else. So go see the psychiatrist. This is the overwhelming majority of people who have been sick for a long time. That's what I hear from them. You just have to have better diagnostics and you have to not dismiss patients because they have mental or psychological or fatigue symptoms because most of those people five years before, 10 years before, were productive, active, normal people. And, you know, it just isn't in their genes to be a debilitated, I'm on the couch, I can't work, I'm on disability. I've been through 16 doctors, and I know I'm not crazy, but everybody tells me that I am. And if you send blood to a really good Lyme laboratory, and there's only one that I know of in the United States, it's Fry Labs, F-R-Y, they're in Phoenix. So we do that. We also look at their blood. The Lyme bacteria is a spirochete. It has a very particular shape when you look at it. And when I was an infectious disease doctor, a cousin to Lyme is syphilis. Okay, syphilis is also a spirochete. And when I was at University Hospital in San Diego and we had a suspected case of syphilis, this is in the early 80s. We would take a drop of their blood. We would look at it under a dark field microscope. It's a special microscope. You can see the spirochetes swimming around. It is diagnostic. So we do that with every patient that we see. We look in their blood and we see, do we see spirochetes? Many times we do. And then if we have a confirmatory test with a fry test, which not only looks for Lyme, but it looks for the other probably eight or 10 co-infections, We often see they've got three of them or four of them or five of them. They actually have Lyme and they're treatable and most people can get better. The problem with the test is it's $2,200. Most insurances won't pay for it. They will pay for the Quest test or the LabCorp test, but they almost never get it right and so... That's a barrier for people. Now they're having to get a diagnosis where they had to put take the money out of their pocket to actually find out what they had. And so for a lot of doctors, they won't go there. And for a lot of patients, they don't know about it.
2: That is tough because that is, you know, a pricey test. So the best lab test for Lyme in the US, $2,200. But you're talking about looking at spirochetes in the blood. So are you doing that in clinic as well?
1: I'm doing that in clinic. Yep. So part of the physical exam is I take a drop of blood, I look at their blood, we can project it on a big screen, I can show it to them, you can actually tell a lot. Lyme and other infections can produce these things called biofilms. They're little colonies in the blood where these things live and they put a little protein around them so they hide and the immune system doesn't see them. But you can see the biofilms on the blood, you can see the spirochetes on the blood, and you can see other bacteria on the blood. This isn't a Sort of well known or well accepted thing. But honestly, I learned this at a premier university infectious disease program that I was a student in. And so I think it's just kind of neglect on the part of the medical community to not look at these things because they are visible. It's very simple. It takes five minutes and people can look at it and they're like, holy smokes. And one of the most amazing things that i find is that i put their blood up on the screen and i have them look at it and i say look here's a normal and i have a picture of a normal sitting on the table in a notebook i say here's yours now these cells are all clumped up and there's biofilms and look there's a spirochete you can see him he's swimming by and they look at me and i said you can't make this up this proves that you're not crazy you know, that you actually have a physical, medical, infectious illness, and the result of the illness is the symptoms that you have. And if we can handle the illness, the symptoms will get better, and you'll get better, and you can go back to your normal life. It takes months, but it can be done.
2: So do you sometimes treat based on that blood analysis in your office, or do you always send out for the other test as well?
1: Well, it's sometimes it's an affordability issue. Mm-hmm. So I say, look, I see spirochetes here. We do some energetic testing where I can find Lyme on an autonomic response testing. It's sort of a biofeedback technique, mm-hmm. muscle technique. And I find that if I get it on the muscle test and I get it on the dark field, there's a 99% chance that the blood test is going to be positive. And I will tell people, look, if you have lots of money and you want to see this or prove to your family or your doctor or whoever that you actually have this, and you can afford the 2200, let's do it. But if you can't, I have enough information here to treat you based on my exam and the microscopic view of things that we can get by with that. For people, it's an expensive disease. It's They're going to get a couple of months of IV, different kinds of nutritional products to get them better. And I'd rather spend their money on the treatment than on the diagnostics if that's the limiting factor.
2: Yeah, that's true. Okay, so we've got Spirochetes is the Borrelia, and you mentioned the co infections, Bartonella, Rickettsia. So, how do you kind of navigate co infections? Does it even matter? And do you just treat as if they're all there? Does it matter?
1: It doesn't matter. Yeah. It actually doesn't matter. Because the treatment we're doing is if you just sort of imagine, let's say within a person's body, they got a thousand immune fighters and those fighters have to defend the whole body no matter what's going on. And so you get a person in, and let's say they have a root canal that's abscessed that they don't know about. Now, there's a lot of fighters that are going to be around that infection because that root canal's in their mouth, it's close to their brain, The stuff could leak out, they could get meningitis or encephalitis. So let's say 500 of those guys are sitting in the jawbone protecting the body from the infection leaking out. Now, they've got a parasite in their intestine, and it's causing problems, and they got some bad bacteria and they're eating a crappy diet, and they got a leaky gut, and they got inflammatory markers in their gut, and they had mono when they were 15, but now when we look at them, we see the mono's reactivated. And so now we've got a whole pile of stuff that we're dealing with, and you can't just treat the Lyme, and that's partly why antibiotics alone don't work, because the other stuff is still going on. So if I can get rid of the parasites and the Epstein-Barr virus and handle the dental thing so that there's no infection in there, Now I've recaptured a lot of my immune fighters so they could go after this infection. And then if I add things which will boost their immunity and target the bacteria, so we can use homeopathics to target the particular bacteria that we see. There's some herbal mixtures that are really good and they will kill these bacteria. And they don't really have side effects. You know, they're not drugs. And we use a lot of ozone. Ozone is oxygen to the third power. It will kill every one of the Lyme bacteria. It will dissolve the biofilm. So you strip off the coating that they have where now they're not protected. And when a molecule of ozone, which is three oxygens together, hits the bacteria, any of them, it will kill them. Mm -hmm. And then you can get people who will start to get better and their head will clear and their sleep will improve and their pain will go away and they will go right side up I saw a woman today she lives in Long Island she has a gardening business and she is in the dirt a lot and those ticks that spread Lyme are endemic in her area and there's deer everywhere and she has been sick for 11 years she's seen 14 doctors she was a wreck she has been here for about three months and today was her last visit And she's smiling and she has no pain and she feels great and she's going home and she's going to be fine because we handled all the stuff that was going on in her body so that her immune system could then get relieved from the other things, kill the Lyme and really get her life back.
2: Yeah. Well, I want to talk about more about the treatments and that really supportive approach. And the answer to this is probably no. But back to co-infections for a moment. I know it doesn't matter if we test them. Did the symptoms change with the co-infections? Because that's some of the hubbub as well, is that maybe the symptoms are going to be a little different depending on co-infections. Now, we talked about the symptoms looking like tingling arms, maybe arthritis, maybe headaches, maybe MS. Is there anything else we're missing on that list that you think we should add? And then do the symptoms change with co-infections?
1: Here's the problem. If it was one infection, you know, let's just say it was one infection. Maybe there's characteristics that make you go that way, but usually there's more than one. And then you have this overlying of these other infections. And then I didn't even really mention environmental toxin load. Like some people have lots of lead or arsenic or cadmium high levels in their body. These are biotoxins. Some people have mold exposures, so they have mold toxins in their body. And then you get another set. So it's usually a combination of things where fatigue, headache, neuropathy, GI problems, can't think, can't remember, can't sleep, no energy. You know, it's usually some combination of these. Or the person has been diagnosed by a rheumatologist with lupus or ms or rheumatoid arthritis, or Sjogren's, they have an autoimmune presentation. And almost all of those have Lyme. And it's never seriously looked for by rheumatologists. All the treatments are suppressed the immune system. They do use hydroxychloroquine, which is an antiparasitic. And some people get relief from that. And that, that's actually probably a good, you know, I think I'm okay with that. The Babesia is a parasite and probably the hydroxychloroquine would kill babesia. So if that's one of the infections that they have, and they're on Plaquenil, it might actually help them. Mm -hmm. But usually it's therapies which are anti-inflammatories or steroids or all these new biologicals, embryo, Humira, where you basically turn the whole cytokine immune system off, and now the person's way higher risk for cancer and other infections and I don't think it's the road most people want to go down.
2: Yeah, well, I'm going to recap to this point, and then let's get into support, treatment, et cetera, a little bit more. So we talked about Lyme, kind of the manifestation, the traditional manifestation. Now, not everyone does get a bullseye either, correct?
1: Almost nobody gets a bullseye that we see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Almost no. Like, if they get it, they go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, "Oh, you got Lyme. There's a tick bite there. Take amoxicillin or doxycycline three weeks." And they're good. It'll cure them. Mm -hmm. It's a good treatment. So I do that. But most of them don't get it or they missed it. You know, it was on the back of their leg or it was on their back or they didn't see it. It was on their scalp. They missed it. Because when I ask them, when were you diagnosed and did you have a bullseye where you were initially treated? And the answer is 99% of the time, no, they never knew they had it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when are we past the point of no return on regular antibiotics being very effective? Is that about that first month?
1: I think that's reasonable. Yes.
2: Okay. All right. So then we're getting into, you can do some live blood analysis, essentially. We talked about testing. Traditionally, I believe they use Western, like you said, that you're getting sent out to LabCorp. My understanding is that's Western blot. It doesn't know. I wonder what the accuracy is of that in general. Do you have any idea?
1: Well, it's terrible. And it's terrible because the bacteria can shift the antigens and they may not get the ones that they're looking for them. These organisms have a lot of flexibility. And if you look at, at Bartonella, there's many, many species of them. You know, it's not like there's one and all of them have the same thing. There's hundreds of them and they're not testing for all of them. They're testing for a few of them. So it gets missed. That's the problem. You know, until two years ago, they said, well, there's no Lyme in Florida. There's, these are the wrong kind of deer and the wrong kind of ticks, and we just don't see Lyme in Florida. And we've been treating Lyme in Florida for 20 years. So most infectious disease doctors are not very savvy on this disease, and they don't have experience with it. And they're going by regular lab tests, and they're negative, And so they think the people don't have it, but they actually have it. Mm-hmm. And it's an education point, and it's an awareness point. And I think it is getting better But because there's so many people that are suffering from this and, you know, now there's documentaries and awareness is going up, you know, like you're talking about it and lots of people talk about it. So as people get educated and they start looking, they just have to seek out someone who is experienced with this and properly diagnose them and then give them a treatment that's not worse than the disease itself.
2: Yeah. And I mean, a competent practitioner isn't. Necessarily easy to come by. And sometimes when we get into lime and mold and kind of these semi doomsday ish seeming things, it can become or seem a little overwhelming. So I think it's good to just review kind of what it looks like. Myths and facts. I just, I appreciate someone who sees it all the time because you're very straightforward (laughs) about it. So let's talk about treatment. You've mentioned ozone therapy. I think ozone therapy is fascinating have actually been pretty fascinated by it for years. I'd love to hear more about how you got into ozone therapy and I'd love to talk about ozone therapy more another day as well but let's talk about in general, I think about antibiotics being kind of an abrasive therapy yes there I'm not anti antibiotics but they're used in certain points but to use them chronically for 2 to 5 years not so great for the overall system. So thinking about abrasive versus supportive you kind of mentioned before we're doing things like the ozone kills the bacteria and I feel like a non abrasive you can correct me there uh, it feels supportive and then the immune system can kind of come in and do what it needs to do a little bit. So you're using a combination of ozone herbs homeopathy and allowing the immune system to recover is that correct and do you want to explain a little bit more?
1: That's correct. And about 3 out of 4 that works. Like it works. They'll do 20 to 40 ozone treatments intravenously, we'll put them in an ozone sauna, they will do a couple of those a week. The average patient somewhere between two and four months will get better. Sometimes they need a little bit longer, sometimes less, just depends on their age and their overall health, and that we handle the other problems that are going on. They'll get better, about three out of four. One out of four, we have to resort to another treatment. There is available a silver preparation, which we are able to give intravenously. So silver is a natural antibiotic. It's used in burn units and wound infections and it's actually accepted medically as a both an anti-inflammatory and an antibiotic. And so some of these people, we do the ozone treatments, but it just isn't enough and we add a course of it's a 17-day program where we do IV silver and usually between the combination our success rate on people who have been to an average of 13 doctors undiagnosed and unsolved about 85 percent of them will get better you know they will go through the treatment program and they will say like this woman today like i said how are you doing she said i feel great i am back to my normal self and so that's my goal you know when i hear the patient say that they're going to go home and they're going to be fine you know they have to keep in their lifestyle they have to keep in their diet they have to keep in their supplements you know they have to keep in their sleep They have to manage their stressors. We're all under it more now than we ever have ever in history in terms of environmental load, whether it's EMF or just toxins and exposure to drugs and exposure to bad food and sedentary lifestyle and craziness in the sort of social political scene that most of us are maxed out. And then if you have an underlying infection that might blossom, It adds to that. So when you get better, you have to start to be able to manage those other things too, because we're not made out of steel. You know, we're humans and we're susceptible and we have emotions and we have to keep ourselves in an environment where we can actually survive rather than succumb to all the stuff that's around us.
2: Yes. Okay. So thank you for going over that. There's the potential person who doesn't respond to treatments. Definitely. Okay. So I have one more kind of big Big picture question, which is really the other episode we did around this. We kind of talked about a story. It was a past guest, and her daughter was diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And sometimes it's really kind of divine how things work because she shared how she kind of went through the motions, even though she's holistically minded. She really felt that this is not quite right. I'm going to advocate for my child. She was able to get some Lyme testing, she was able to get immune support. Her daughter is doing substantially better, and then it's funny because another colleague of mine sent me a message. She wanted to schedule an appointment for her child who had also been recently diagnosed with JIA. So I sent her the episode before it was published, and so I don't know that that will turn into line, but it felt very like uh, serendipitous, right? That sometimes things pop up. So we were talking about kids, and so the really the question is: we've got these perfectly healthy children outside of this obnoxious, random tick bite, right? So let's talk about, do you have tips for screening in kids? Because this could be easily missed in a child. If we think if we're looking at flu-like symptoms, or if you don't even have flu-like symptoms, that's sometimes Part of pretty much any child's life, right? Uh, is flu-like symptoms at some point. So do you have tips for screening in kiddos? And then also the other question to stack onto that, and I think you've answered this in other ways maybe, is this person won't deal with this diagnosis their entire life. It's possible to get rid of it 100% or we're, will there be some latent hanging out something that like, you'll always need to support? And like, Could it ever reemerge if you think you're good to go? <laughs> I hope that made sense.
1: Yeah, it did. Here's I think what the truth of it is. There is a company, there's a Lyme Diagnostic Laboratory in Colorado Springs, Mm -hmm. and they do a urine test. They do a PCR urine test. This is similar to what's being done for COVID right now. Mm -hmm. And so they have a PCR test for a dozen Lyme bugs. And in the research that the laboratory was doing, so they go down to downtown Colorado Springs and they recruit 100 people off the street and said, we'll pay you whatever they paid them to be a guinea pig. And here's what we want to do with you. We want to bring you back to the laboratory. You're going to get a free massage and it's sort of a rolfing massage. It's a deep tissue massage where they could stir a lot of stuff up. You know, they could really work the muscles and really like really deep massage. And then after that massage, give them a whole bunch of water to drink, collect the urine and do the PCR test on their urine. Looking for these dozen Lyme associated bugs. Now, these are all asymptomatic people. They're not sick. They're not going to doctors. They're not on medicines. These are just young people who probably in their between 20s and 40s, who are just selected randomly. They found that nine out of 10 had PCR positive testing in their urine for one or more Lyme organisms. And their detection limit was that if you had as few as 10 bugs in your body, you would test positive. I think these things are all over. It's just like COVID is all over. Mm -hmm. You can wear a mask and you can hide in your house, but by golly, These virus particles are really small and they travel on airstreams and they are all over. And if you get sick, you got exposed. And if you didn't get sick, you got exposed. But they are all over and they are in us. And I think you can't sort of hide from this stuff that many of us have had the bites because we find there's also evidence that mosquitoes can transfer it. You know, it's a biting insect. And who hasn't had a thousand mosquito bites in their life? If you live in Florida, you have for sure. And so I think they're around and I think, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in the late 1800s, the prominent microbiologist in Paris was Louis Pasteur Mm -hmm. and he was a professor of microbiology and his theory of disease is that the bug was the thing to be feared and that the bug, if it got you, would kill you. Mm There was another little-known microbiologist at a smaller university with no status named Bichon. And Bichon had another theory, that it was the host that made the difference. Like when strep goes through a school classroom, not everybody gets it. Maybe 30% get it. 70% don't get it. Why didn't the ones not get it? They were exposed. You can oftentimes even culture it, and if you do cultures of their nasal pharynx, You can find that the bug is there, but they're not sick. So this argument raged then. And Louis Pasteur won that it was the bacillus that was the thing. It wasn't the host. The story goes that on Pasteur's deathbed, he was feeling super guilty. And his last dying words was somebody send a message to Bachan and tell him he was right. It's the host. Now, because infectious disease has been my career, What I've learned is that if you are walking in the woods in San Diego County and there is plague in the rodents there and the fleas and you get bit, by golly, that's the bug. You know, even good, healthy hosts have a high chance of going down. With Lyme, it's probably mostly the host and not the bug because these bugs are not invasive. You know, it's not like flesh eating strep where in hours you see these tissue planes just dissolve because the bacteria is so ferocious, or like meningococcal meningitis, where it's like, man, you get that thing, you could die in 24 hours. So I think Lyme is mostly host, and that if you have a healthy host, that your chances of having a long-term chronic illness with it are low, and that we all, most of us, probably have these bacteria in us, and that attention to basics like nutrition and sleep and sunshine and healthy relationships and exercise, you know, the, these are the keys. And that if people keep those things, it's a key. Same with COVID. I don't think COVID is really that it's the bacteria. It's the host And these people that are dying, which is horrible. But, you know, they have no vitamin D and they're eating nursing home food and they don't get any sunshine and they have 12 pharmaceuticals that they're on, they just have risk factors which just make them so susceptible. Whereas your average person who is in good health and paying attention to the other stuff, they don't have a problem with it. And I think that's true mostly for Lyme also.
2: Perfect. And I appreciate, I think usually the answers always overlap into some other area for sure. So, Dr. Minkoff, one of your secrets behind looking so young is your exercise and your training. And you've, through this, you've developed quite a line of products. And it's funny because during our conversation, I realized I pulled up, I clicked on my link for your website, and I thought, I have this on my shelf. (laughs) So, anyway, do you want to tell us about your favorite thing in your cabinet arsenal? What is one of your favorite one or two things from body health that you've developed?
1: Okay. So if anyone's interested and if you want to read, I wrote a book. It's an Amazon bestseller and it's a really good book and it's entertaining and anyone could read it. And I think it's a view on nutrition that almost no traditionally educated doctor or dietitian or nutritionist ever had any clue of. And I think they were given false information. So the book is called The Search for the Perfect Protein. You can buy it on Amazon, but if you want to get a free download on it, you can go to bodyhealth.com and you can download it free mm-hmm. and it's written for a layperson and it's lots of information and the product in there what i learned from my own experience is that even though i was trying to eat a nutritious diet and doing ironman training plus a you know very busy doctor family life that i was protein malnourished and that eating the foods that i was eating i was not able to nourish my body in a way that when I got a hamstring pull that I could actually get it healed. And I started experimenting with combinations of amino acids, which are the building box for the proteins in your body. And that I hit upon a combination of amino acids, which actually produced more nutritional change in the body in the way of repair and building protein than anything that exists even from that now. And that product is called Perfect Amino. It comes as powders or tablets. And I just suggest people take two scoops and a glass of water every morning. And we have thousands of success stories. If you're in a competitive athletic field, the people that are beating you are taking this product. I can almost guarantee you it's in lots of pro sports. It's NSF certified. So it's clean. There's no drugs. There's no anything in it. It's like the purest thing you ever saw. It's just amino acids, pharmaceutical grade amino acids. And so that's my every morning When I get up, the first thing I do is I walk into the bathroom and I put a little tablet, which is called H2 Infuse. This is hydrogen in a tablet. And I add it to about four ounces of water. It fizzes up and I drink it down. I shave and I brush my teeth. And that hydrogen is probably one of nature's best antioxidant healing de-inflammation molecules. So it's called H2 Infuse and it's a great thing. Then when I'm done with that, I put a scoop. We have a reds combination and a greens combination. They taste really good. They're organic. They're non-GMO. They're like all the quals are in. I put a scoop of that in a glass of water in a shaker cup and two scoops of Perfect Amino. I like the berry flavor. I shake it up and I drink it down. Now that gives me protein, 10 servings of vegetables, a good dose of antioxidants. I then work out for a couple hours and then by 8 o'clock I go to work. And it just really sets me up for the day. So those are the products that I'm, you know, I use a lot of our products. We have a great fish oil product and we have a great multivitamin that's got in two tablets twice a day, what you'd have to take 12 of anybody else's. Again, it's in a base of 16 whole food, organic fruits and vegetables with added things so that there's, you know, extra vitamin C and zinc and selenium and CoQ10 and activated folate. It's just a great multi. So if you're looking for supplements, these products are great. They're guaranteed. If you don't like them, you can send them back and get a refund first 90 days. So those are the ones I'm excited about. And then one other thing, probably a lot of your listeners are like me. You're on the go. You need handy, quick food that isn't toxic. And we make some nutrition bars that are absolutely the best in the world. There is a chocolate brownie and there is a blondie. And by golly, these things are the best combination of chewiness and crunch and taste that you'll ever taste. I guarantee you. So if you like to, you know, it's mid-morning and you're hungry and you need something or you missed lunch and you need something, eat one of these bars from Body Health. They're fantastic. So
2: cool. That- you're good at your own ads. I like it. It's impressive. So I actually have the perfect amino on the shelf. So Dr. Minkoff, thanks for coming on. And being cut and dry and straightforward about Lyme disease. I think sometimes we need that in a world that makes it look like it's really overcome. I actually like to oversimplify things. And I think you did that well in a potentially very complicated topic. So I appreciate you coming on. I hope we can talk about ozone soon.
1: Sounds good. Thank you. Enjoyed it. And look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks.